What's up, gang? It's July 15th, 2015. I know the date. That's amazing. Uh, this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. 1.5 hours of all of your questions and comments related to anything in the world of mixed martial arts, combat sports, and maybe even a little bit sports generally. My name is Luke Thomas, and I am your uh, loyal and faithful host. My man Barbus is here, chilling. He just exhaled while he laid down. Uh, I'll have him on camera a little bit later, but he's sleeping. Uh, welcome. Today on the the podcast, we'll talk about, I mean, what else? Conor McGregor, UFC 189. We'll talk about maybe the return of Fedor. We'll talk about, um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, whatever else you want to talk about. There's a uh, Frank Mir versus Todd Duffy fight tonight, UFC Fight Night 71. There's all kinds of stuff. So, a uh, Bellator 140. UFC Fight Night 72, because there's not enough MMA. Uh, we'll get to all of that and more. Whatever you want to talk about, this is your live chat as much as it is mine. So best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com. Um, here he is. Barbas, come here. People have been asking about you, buddy. People have been asking about you. Look at that dog, huh? Twinsies. Amazing. Um We'll also talk about uh, all that stuff. MMAfighting.com. You can get me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Thomas. I don't know, you're tired. Or um, facebook.com slash Sports. So have one more time because you got to go. It's a good-looking mutt, right? Always adopt, never buy. Never buy a dog. Always adopt. All right. With that being said, let's get to these questions and get this done. And by the way, thank you for joining me. Oh, and last but not least, if you could give this a thumbs up, that would be hugely appreciated. And uh, spread the word if you're watching this. Get on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, wherever you have to go to let folks know. Post it on a message board, something. Um, let folks know about it. If you watch the Monday Morning Analyst, I think it was the most watched Monday Morning Analyst I'd ever done. Um, I think it was very largely well-received. Of course, not everyone's going to love everything you do. But, generally speaking, I think it was pretty well-received. So thank you if you watched it. Thank you if you provided feedback, both critical and uh, positive. Um, I appreciate it. So those are going to change real soon, man. I know you guys don't believe me, but trust me. This chat will pretty much look like it always looks. The, the Monday Morning Analyst is going to get a pretty substantial upgrade here very soon. Okay. Let's get right to it. And by the way, uh, today's chat is brought to you by, not officially, but of course, I'm consuming it. Pepsi Max. I don't know what that thing is, but... Oof. Let's try this old Pepsi Max. Haven't had one of these in a little while. Edible. All right, the merits of Frankie and Aldo. After watching the McGregor fight, I started to parse out how Edgar and Aldo might fare. I thought they posed problems to Connor. Frankie is a very good wrestler who favors the knee tap, the first takedown that Mendez scored. Additionally, he ha actually wasn't. He tried a knee tap and then switched to basically a dump. Additionally, he has great movement, which may let him get away from being trapped on the cage. However, he has shown in the past that he is very, he is very hittable early. Aldo. Other than possibly Machida, there is no one on the planet who is better at cracking you and getting out of the way. 
This might pose an issue for Con to Connor's method of swarming you, making you back up and get trapped. However, at this point, Connor's striking looks sublime, and there's no way to know if Aldo is a step ahead. Thoughts? I think it's a very fair point. A very fair point. It, it, it was interesting in talking about Conor McGregor because I have never seen a guy who is so undeniably successful, who is such a talent, who is such a megastar, and yet that's not enough for his fan base. R rather amazing. If you don't think that McGregor walks on water or looks basically impervious to um, any communicable disease, excuse me, communicable disease, any um, financial peril, uh, mortality generally, then you must have a seething hatred for McGregor. If you don't think that he's the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter, if you don't think that he's the best striker that's ever lived, if you don't think that he makes the idea of learning jiu-jitsu uh, an irrelevant, laughable thing, you must have a burning desire to see him lose. It is incredible, right? It is incredible because if you so much as talk about what are very obvious, clear weaknesses because every fighter has, to some degree, clear weaknesses, it's impossible to be the perfect fighter, We've talked about the Android concept on this chat before. Um, you are somehow discounting something about him. I've never seen someone whose fans want him to be something more than he is in such a in such a dire way when what he already is is amazing. It's 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 bizarre. It's truly bizarre. Like like, dude, what he's giving you in reality is, you know borderline breathtaking and that's not good enough for them <laughs> so like would Conor, like have a have a discussion about conor mcgregor is almost inherently impossible because the only way to satisfy the the, the died in the wool fans the rock ribbed conor mcgregor fans is to say nothing bad literally nothing bad um because if you do you are somehow undermining some other form of um, otherworldly greatness. Discounting that group, which we just have to do to have an honest conversation. Um, I think both of your points are fair. When I, I've watched the McGregor and Mendes fight now maybe a dozen times, truly. Watched over and over again. And when I do stuff for the Monday Morning Analyst, I watch it like a football coach watches tape, go back, rewind, pause it, try to find where hands are being placed. And, and go. you can watch the Monday Morning Analyst for a breakdown there. But suffice to say... When watching McGregor in that fight, you know, there's a lot to like. There's a lot not to like. Hard to make sense of some things because of a lack of information. But I guess in thinking about how a Edgar fight would go, in Edgar's benefit, he's not going to gas. If he gets the takedown, he can pass guard and hold position. Um, he has great ground and pound, great submissions. Um, once he gets going and adjusted his movement uh, in and out of the pocket, his lateral movement, his feints, his baiting, all of that really works to his benefit. You can see he can mix it up. He's got a wide variety of takedowns. Um, I think he'd be outsized, but you know that's a common thing for him. Those are things you would say would be in McGregor's benefit, or excuse me, uh, Edgar's benefit. On the other hand, you would say, to your point, I truly still think that, like we haven't talked about this, and I didn't mention it on the Monday Morning Analyst because it only occurred to me after the fact. Um, I know Mendez was trying to conserve energy, but I think one of the things he did wrong was he, no one seems to take McGregor's power seriously enough. 
I think his power is ridiculous for that division. He might be the hardest hitter in the division, to be perfectly honest. Because he was standing there eating the shot, eating the shot, eating the shot, and just kind of smiling and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, your hands need to be a lot higher than they are. And you should be moving a little bit more, and you should be parrying some of these shots and ducking out and getting out of the way. And maybe he wasn't doing that because he thought it wasn't necessary or he just didn't have the energy or I don't know. But he wasn't doing it, and I thought it was a big mistake for, for you know, relative to what the other option was. So I think that, as you mentioned before, I think Edgar and trying to figure out that range and just the fluidness of McGregor striking, I think he'd take a beating early. One has to believe that there'd be some degree of improved takedown defense, although I don't think ultimately that would prevent Edgar from scoring there. Um, but um, but I do think that his ability to uh, scramble would help him a lot. The fight would keep coming back to the feet. You know, I think McGregor scrambling is terribly underrated. That's definitely something I didn't I did not fully appreciate until this fight. Wasn't overblown by his work off of his back, but I was very impressed that when someone tries to position themselves for a finishing submission or pass and try to hold them from, from, you know, some guys prefer to hold from side control. Some guys prefer to hold from mount. In either case, um, the guard and maybe half guard seem to be a better place to be because if you try to pass or, or, or even mount, maybe not so much mount. We'll see. Point being is he has a lot of different openings and opportunities to really get that scramble going. I was really blown away by that. Very, very good there. Uh, as you mentioned with Aldo, Aldo can stick and move. You know, he can pop a super quick jab. He can duck a punch and, and then circle out. I have to say, though, it's a very tiring way to fight. You know, and Aldo has shown a little bit of gas tank issues later in fights. And someone like McGregor, McGregor just needs about 10 seconds of punching and kicking to, to change the course of a round. Right? That's how heavy his punches are. And that's how continuously, I should say, how heavy his strikes are. And that's how continuously he sort of pours it on because it's just so effortless. He doesn't need a very big window of space to hurt you. And that's why it was interesting to me. He clearly lost the first round against Mendez, period. Not up for debate. And save for the last 30 seconds of that fight, he was on his way to losing round two as well. Now, obviously, McGregor was investing in the body work. So maybe if the fight had gone past round two, if Herb Dean hadn't stopped it at 457 and it had gone to the third round, Maybe it would have just been stopped there. In fact, that's probably what would have happened. But you, you, you get the point here. What's interesting about McGregor is, is that he, he just needs that amount of space. Not so much that much, not that much, just like that. Just that amount of time in a round to devastatingly hurt you. And so, yes, he can give up literally like, like three minutes of ground control where he's getting banged on and he's not doing, doing a whole hell of a lot down there clearly losing on the scorecards, gets up, and then within 10 to 15 to 20 seconds, you know, he just turns your lights off. <laughs> it's kind of impressive. That's sort of what he does. So for me, you know, you got to find it. you got to do something to, 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 to McGregor. You need to uh, establish mount or back control or stay in his guard, but, you know, right away go for that takedown, hold him there, really bang on him, see what you can do. I think back control might be an interesting thing, but you can always scramble from there. You'd have to have really tight back control. I think your cardio has to be on point. I think you have to be super, super duper defensively responsible against Conor McGregor, or he will just tear you to pieces. He will tear you to pieces. He does not need a lot of time to cause a lot of damage and to make you start retreating and to think twice. What do we talk about with uh, the jiu-jitsu of um, Anthony Pettis? 
you know, when you went up against Dos Anjos, I didn't see it coming, but after the fact, you could at least watch the fight and you can say, okay, Dos Anjos is the better wrestler, but when this dude wants to, he can pass guard like relatively easily here. He's so much better on the ground positionally. You know what I mean? The way in which um, a blue belt or purple belt like Anthony Pettis is able to submit a black belt like Ben Henderson is because he hurts you, forces you to make bad choices, and then takes advantage of that. Um, Conor McGregor is kind of like that, at least in the striking department. You you don't you, these guys keep underestimating his power. They make bad choices about footwork. They make bad choices about letting him establish you know cage control distance and everything else. And then he hits them with a few shots, and then they start making bad choices. I'm going to start circling into his power hand. I'm going to die for a poor takedown. And then he just takes advantage of it. You got to you got to establish conditions where he's fighting on the defensive. Because if you don't, boy, he will he will eat you alive. So yeah, I think there's there's lots of ways in which you can clearly see um, Aldo and Edgar having a great shot against him. And there are clearly some arguments you can look at and you can say, yeah, but McGregor can do this and this back to them. That's why it's so great. That's why it's so great. This is why these fights need to happen. And the the best part about the Mendes fight is, look, we don't really know why he gassed. I put a picture up on this very post. If you go and watch an MMA fighting, Esther Lynn got a perfect shot of one of McGregor's front kicks to the to the belly hitting Mendez. And you can see Mendez's face like, ugh. Like, it clearly is just the driving wind out of him. I'm sure it's painful to an extent too, right? So there's no denying that that body work clearly had an outcome or an effect on the outcome. I also tend to think that the argument that Chad Mendes only had really two weeks to prepare is totally fair. It's totally fair. Here's the best part. If McGregor truly wants to be, and then maybe he goes to lightweight, but if he really wants to be that guy at featherweight, he's going to have to fight some of these guys again. Mendes might very well get his shot at McGregor again. And I, I assume at some point Edgar's going to get it, and certainly Aldo's going to get it. So we're going to get answers to all these questions one way or the other. All right. Uh, Rory McDonald's monster sponsorship. Do you know anything about Rory's extra sponsorship on his shorts? Is this what the UFC has said when, would be an extra sponsor the fighters get no piece of? Monster energy is not as impressive as the Sony Samsung patch you had suggested. I don't know. I don't know what, what that was or why that was exactly. Um, everyone's looking for clarification. We can't quite get it. Um, You know, just recall, if they do get a Verizon sponsorship, the fighters are entitled to no cut of this. Um, I don't know if Rory's Monster sponsorship does, because Monster also sponsors UFC and therefore allows it. I don't know. What I do know is Rory confirmed prior to this fight he does not get a cut of pay-per-view. So whatever he got from Reebok and maybe any kind of outside sponsorships he got, which I suspect are fairly minimal at this point, if, it, if they exist at all, and whatever was declared to the Athletic Commission... It's probably all he got. Maybe he got a bonus for that. God, I hope he got a bonus for that. But um, it's you're beginning to figure out how much guys are getting now, and you can see it's not a lot, you know. Rory didn't know what year he was in. Luke, do you think it was odd that Dana would actually pro proudly proclaim that Rory fought so hard he didn't know what year it was? I can just picture that sound clip coming back to bite him in the ass if a fighter got killed down the road in the octagon. It certainly could. I can see how that would be a PR liability. Um, in that sense, it's inadvisable. However, I also feel like, um, you know, maybe that's not the best way to go to, to, to talk about the fight for the purposes you mentioned. 
On the other hand, though, I actually kind of appreciate the honesty because fight fans need to know what these guys put themselves through um, in order to win. And this is obviously an extreme example, both in what Rory gave and what happened to him. This is not common of every fight. In fact, it's fairly fairly uncommon um, to this extent. But but folks need to know when a guy goes through a war, man, it does something to you. Both of those guys left a piece of themselves in the octagon that night. You know, I'm not saying that they're that they'll on a, that they'll forever turn and to be terrible from here on out. No, they'll probably have some you know distinguished uh, career and they'll have some good fights in front of them. Rory may, uh, Robbie may hold on to that title for a very long time, but th- they didn't leave the same as they went in. There's just no way. There's just no way you get that much taken out of you and you leave the same. Um, how much less? I don't know. But um, yeah, man, I would rather I would rather fans have an understanding of what it is that these guys are doing and what they're giving in the name of athletic glory and how they pay their bills, so that the appreciation of them can really truly sink in. There's costs associated with this, and fans should know them. Maybe not in all of the glorious details, but in enough of them. McGregor's injury. What did you think of McGregor's coach revealing that McGregor didn't actually do any wrestling training for the fight? Do you believe this? And what are your th- initial thoughts on regarding the news? Well, a couple of things. Number one, he didn't say he didn't do any wrestling training. What he said was he didn't do live rounds. Uh, that's not the same thing as not doing any training. So, for example, there's all and there's video of this. There's all kinds of things you can do, not including live rounds, to train wrestling. You can prepare in your sprawl. You can work on your hand fighting. You can do all kinds of different things and, and work on your scrambling. It's not the same benefit of getting a live round. In fact, nothing is the same benefit of getting a live round. A live round is the most important thing. What he said was um, that the injury was basically 100% come fight time. They weren't really sure if it was 100% until after the fight, but they had felt it was pretty good to train on. They just didn't want to take any risks. So what they did was they didn't do any live rounds. That is not the same as not training. It, there's no substitute for live rounds. Live rounds are the most important thing. Let's be clear about this. I'm not saying that it's a negligible thing. It's a very important thing. That is not the same as not training wrestling. There's all kinds of wrestling training you can do that's not live rounds. You can work on every single one of your takedowns. You can work on the timing of every single one of your takedowns. You can work on underhooking. You can work on fighting the hands, both front and back. You can work on clinch breaking. All that stuff you can do without live rounds. So it's not true that he didn't do uh, wrestling training. What's true is that he didn't do live rounds. That has an effect on your ability to wrestle. So like when someone says he didn't do live rounds, my response is, yeah, it shows. His wrestling's not good. It's not good. Or at least you can say pretty declaratively, um, it wasn't good on Saturday night. Maybe it'll be much better against Aldo. Maybe it'll be much better against Edgar. Here's what I know. is going to need to be better against Edgar if he wants to win that fight. Because um, Edgar is not Chad Mendes, both for better or for worse. So let's be clear about this. The idea that he didn't do any wrestling training is not true. He didn't do live rounds, which is the most important component. I will never take that away. But again, this is what I'm talking about with McGregor's fans. Just trying to invent this narrative about him that he didn't even train any wrestling and went in and did this. No, he didn't do live rounds. Say the facts, state what they are, state what they mean, and move forward. Is it impressive that he was able to win despite doing no live rounds? Sure, but you can't say he didn't do live rounds and then wrestled well. He didn't do live rounds and wrestled poorly. He did train some wrestling that you could, absent live rounds, and wrestled poorly. Those are the facts. Uh, and do you believe this? And what are your initial thoughts regarding this news? 
Not surprising. He didn't wrestle particularly well. Uh, let's see. Next for Edgar. Also, like, it's one thing that he didn't train live rounds, which, again, definitely hampers your camp. You know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but to me, he also fought in a way that didn't really, like, he just never took the takedown threat seriously, for better or for worse, you know. When you're when you're throwing flying knees and you got taken down from it and you're throwing a huge overhand lefts and Chad Mendez timed one of those and planted him on his back, I think at the beginning of the second round, you know, that's just not fighting in a way where you respect the other person's ability to take you down. Because my thought is, like, even if you're trend wrestling, you're just so overcommitted at that point. You know, when you throw a punch like that, your weight is from your waist is it's your weight is over your waist a little bit if you throw it that hard you know your, your weight always has to be under you when you when you punch and he was punching so hard you know and with good reason because chad wasn't doing a lot about it i'm not saying it was a bad idea i'm just saying all these things have pluses and minuses chad's not blocking your punches well you should open up on him the bad side be that the one time he decides to level change on you you're wide open so there was a lot of that too you know he just wasn't quite balanced in certain ways but in the end, it didn't matter because he got the W, right? So there's a lot of different ways to look at the wrestling there. Like, you know, did he get proper preparation? No, he did not. Um, did he show a lot of good, you know, wrestling ability? No, he did not. Did it matter in the end? Probably not. No, he got the W. He got the interim title um, and looked good doing it when he was on the feet anyway. Uh, and then he also fought in a way that didn't, like, Frankie Edgar always fights in a way where he strikes and he's never too much out of position to defend a shot. Robbie Lawler is the same kind of way, you know, he's never look at, look at Robbie Lawler's takedown defense. That's how you strike and put yourself in a position to never get taken down because Rory McDonald on that one single leg pickup he had was deep on that thing, deep on that thing. And, and, and somehow Lawler found room for the cross face and blocked it. Crazy takedown defense. That's takedown defense. That's insane takedown defense. Now, Robbie Lawler also probably did live rounds, so understanding all that. I'm just saying, if you want to look at a guy who showed you how to do defensive wrestling that night and what it means to have defensive wrestling, Robbie Lawler's your guy because no one seems to be talking. Everyone wants to focus on McGregor's wrestling. Is it good? Is it bad? Here's what I know for sure. Robbie Lawler's wrestling is ridiculously good. <laughs> ridiculously good. Whoa. Takes your breath away good, man. That is how you defensively wrestle. And you notice his punches, like I talked about in the Monday Morning Analyst, he d he d he's not knocking you out with one punch anymore because he's not throwing those kinds of punches. He didn't lose the power. He just changed the way he throws punches. So they're still, all of them hurt, you know, all of them, the punches hurt. But he's not throwing those tiki ghosts in huge lefts and rights that he was before. He keeps his weight really balanced over his feet. And so he can, if if someone uh, can expose the weak plane behind him, which BJJ Scott has talked about, he's still got just an insane, insane crossface and sprawl. Just amazing what he can do. Next for Edgar. What do you expect will be next for Frankie Edgar? He is clearly next in line for a title shot after McGregor Aldo, but do you expect he will wait for that fight to take place or take another fight before that? If he was taking another fight, then what would make sense for him? Someone says the winner of Holloway versus Oliveira. I think so, because look... You just have to look at it realistically. I feel bad for Frankie Edgar, but he had to wait. I mean, it was supposed to be Aldo this time, and it wasn't for all the reasons we know. So then, once it being Mendez, McGregor beats Mendez. So now, you know, he beat him uh, decisively, right? Like he, he he TKO'd him, and so so now it's McGregor Aldo to unify the titles. 
Okay. So let's say Aldo goes in there and just blows the doors off of him over three rounds. Just, I mean, dominates him, which I don't think will happen. I'm just putting up a scenario. In that case, I guess Edgar falls in line to get the next shot at Aldo. But what I suspect will more likely happen will that will be that no matter who wins, because Aldo's not going out easy, and I don't think Edgar uh, McGregor is either. And I think no matter which side you're on on this debate, you should probably get ready to accept that. Neither of those guys are going to go out easy. Whoever wins that fight is going to earn it. Or at least, you know, they're going to give a lot to get it. I feel very confident saying that. Which means I suspect there's going to be a rematch, especially if Aldo loses. So you've got a fight in January, potentially. Then let's say February, March, April. So around April or May. Maybe they do a May show, right? Um, uh, and then then whoever wins after that, you do something for Edgar. He, I mean, he could wind up waiting another year. So you just have to take another fight. You have to take another fight. And frankly, I like his chances against Holloway. Well, okay, I, like, I definitely like his chances against Oliveira. The Holloway fight's interesting, man. We've said it on this chat before. We may look back at all the guys that he fights and say, one of the more impressive, if not the most impressive win on that resume is the one over Holloway. Granted, he fought Holloway at a really developmental stage, and he was at a developmental stage too. They were both at very developmental stages, and, and McGregor's uh, knee injury, of course, impacted everything as well. Um, I'm just saying... If, if and when they fight again, we know McGregor's going to be a different guy. Holloway's going to be a different guy, too. That should be a fun thing to see. And, and we all saw what Holloway did to Cub Swanson. So, you know, McGregor may, might jump to 155 because of that cut being you know so hard for him. And I understand that. But I would like to see what he can do at 145 first. I would like to see him rematch Holloway. I'd like to see him rematch Mendez down the road. Obviously, not right away. I want to see what he can do against Aldo. If he can beat Aldo. If he beats Aldo, can he beat Edgar? If you can start beating all those guys, you know, that to me would be truly uh, an impressive thing because, man, at lightweight, like McGregor's big for featherweight and Mendez is small for featherweight. You know, they were on, they were both featherweights, but on opposite ends of the spectrum in that one weight class. You know, uh, at, at lightweight, McGregor is not the biggest lightweight. You know, he's just not. And I feel like, yeah, Nurmagomedov and guys like Dos Anjos, um, less so Dos Anjos, but, you know, Nurmagomedov's entry into takedowns is a little is a little, uh, um, you know, wild. But, man, once he gets his hands on you, it's a wrap for you, son. He is, he is, in my judgment, the best MMA wrestler in the UFC. You know, once he gets his hands on you, we talked about it before, he can do folk-style rides. He can do freestyle takedowns. He can do throws. He can do trips. He's got every different kind of grappling arts takedown mastered fluidly into one. Um, he will, he, he'll, 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 he'll just eat you alive. So for me, and you got RDA in there who can, who's got much better distance closing. And then once he gets his hands on you, his wrestling is phenomenal. I just think those guys would give McGregor a ton of problems. Obviously on the feet, it's a different story, but they're just not going to play that game with him. Maybe RDA does a little bit, but, um, he doesn't have to. Uh, Luke, what are the rumors of Fedor coming back to MMA for at least one fight? excuse me, with the rumors of Fedor coming back to MMA for at least one fight, what are the chances we see him in the UFC? He does have that history with Scott Coker, but everyone would love to see him in the UFC. I hear rumors of him possibly fighting Couture in Bellator. Is that possible? Does Couture have fights left on his UFC contract? I don't know about his contract and whether or not that's been settled. Um, I think in some states there's a clause, there's a sunset clause, I think after five years, where it becomes nullified. Um, I think California is like that. So maybe they put a fight in California, they could take it to the Athletic Commission, and it would be overridden. Um, 
Someone says, I can see Bellator announcing Friday night they've signed Fedor Bellator 140. You have to think that Fedor is the leading candidate. He was at Bellator 138 when I was there. I saw him. Um, you know, and the other part about it is the people he still has around him just are folks that have been, uh, you know, never had a great or strong relationship with UFC. I think Jerry Millen, um, formerly of Pride and a thousand other things, I think I, I, I am pretty sure I saw him with Fedor the entire time. So not saying it wouldn't happen with, with UFC. I'm sure they would probably make an, an effort to get him to the extent one is possible. I'm just saying probably you got to think it's going to be Scott Coker, you know, the, the existing relationship or the pre-existing one anyway. And now the one that's ongoing, they're the ones that went and visited him uh, in the past year. And they seem to have figured out a way to get him uh, interested back for one more. So we'll see, man. You never know. Never underestimate the UFC, but Seems like your leading candidate is Bellator there. Okay. True or false? UFC 189 does over 750,000 pay-per-view buys. After seeing all that I saw, I will say that's true. I don't know if it goes up to a million. Maybe it gets close. But... it probably beats with 750. Uh, Frank Mir coming in at 262 pounds is not a good sign. Look, I don't know if his weight is going to make a difference in the end for the outcome or not. I just was, I saw it yesterday, and I thought it was a little alarming because it's not the same 260 plus he used to have. I mean, I know he's 260 against Antonio Silva, but I mean, even previously to that, you know, we've tried to fight uh, when he was bulking up before. He was much more muscular then. Um, he was younger then. He had taken less damage then. You know, he didn't look to be the same kind of muscular, and I just figured against a guy like Duffy where mobility might be key because he's only 242, 241. It would have looked a little bit different. So is it a good sign or is it a bad sign? You know, I don't know. I don't know that it'll make a difference in the end, but it was a little bit surprising, I thought. Uh, Joe Silva agreeing with Luke that the UFC should use a smaller cage for Fox shows made you giddy as hell. Uh, it wasn't for Fox shows. It was for fight night shows. And, yes, it was like – I, I, I really, look, I have some ideas that I float out here, and then afterwards I'm like, ah, I don't think what I said was true. It happens all the time. If you talk for an hour and a half, and then you count another hour on the Monday morning analyst, you're going to say something stupid eventually. It's just inevitable. That's why you should close your mouth as much as possible unless you have something to say, and I need to take my own advice with that. However, um, I really don't see how folks can like have an issue with this. What I've said on Twitter was, if they want to use the big cage for pay-per-views and maybe even for Fox shows, you know, in these big arenas, and because, you know, listen, like, for example, look at the main events in these Fox shows, man. These guys are getting title shots off of that, you know. Okay, fine. Put them in a big cage. I, I don't care. But for the rest of your fight night shows, which at this point are like the majority of your shows, dude, let's use the smaller cage, man. Unless you really have to because it's a big venue, fine, man. Someone was saying, um, you know, if it's 10K people in the uh, arena or less, like that's the size it's outfitted for, like a Patriot Center here in Fairfax, use a small one. If it's something bigger, like let's say a Verizon Center, use the big one. I could live with that too. But the point being is let's, like in tennis, you have clay and grass and, you know, then the the normal uh, kind of court. And then in football, people are like, well, there's no differences in, in the field. Bull S, there's differences in turf. How about Peyton Manning and Cole Weather? all kinds of different changes that you have to deal with as a result of where you play and what kind of stadium you play in. In baseball, all, I mean, there's, they're not, you know, 
look at what the green monster. Look at how you uh, you can hit the. Uh, uh, some stadiums are more home run friendly than others. There's all kinds of differences that you have to deal with when you d- deal with all these other sports. And like, and that, and, and, and in golf, like some courses cater more to some kind of player style and some don't. So for me, this idea that like, it should be the same cage every time, blah, 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 blah to me is such a boring ass idea. So boring, so boring. It should be by rule, by fiat fight night shows, not Fox or big, or big pay-per-view, but the fight night shows. Dude, let's have a small cage, man. The The numbers are clear about what it does to the action. And if you're going to have lesser stars on those, not no stars, but lesser stars, right, because you're saving them for pay-per-view for the most part, then let's ante, let's up the ante a little bit here. Let's, let's, let's make it a little more exciting. I think having those smaller cages there as a rule, so all the fighters now know about it, I think it would just be tremendous. I think it would be totally tremendous. And it would make the fight night viewing experience that much more fun guys will be getting after it we know because because the data clear data tells us that uh connor made over four million dollars for ufc 189 man you know what if you factor in some of the ads he had plus those game of war ads um i don't know what reebok paid him but i'm sure it's pretty substantial let's assume he got around three million for that fight yeah probably probably question is not how much he made question is how much he spent he spent a lot. Connor's chin. One of the questions about Connor going into last Saturday's fights was how his chin will hold hold up against a top tier fighter, albeit with mid level striking technique, who was who has proven KO power. He took some of Chad's best shot standing on the ground and seemed completely unfazed, despite even getting cut open. I agree with you that McGregor seems far too happy. Someone says, look, it's called true or false. Yeah, I did true for all. Oh, if Fedor came back, Bellator would most likely grab him. True. I did true or false for all of them but one. Back to Connor's chin. I agree with you that McGregor seems far too happy to get clipped and will one day pay a price if that continues as such. After the fight, he talked about how he just doesn't feel it when fighters at 145 land on him. I was wondering if this ability to take a punch has anything to do with the fact that he seems to truly believe that no featherweight can hurt him regardless of what they hit him with. Well, look, I'm the first person to say that you know, Conor McGregor's mind is his most powerful weapon. You know, people want to talk about his striking. It's super elite. It's amazing. It's incredible. People want to talk about, you know, his size, how big he is. It's all true. You know, people talk about his scrambling ability now. I think it's been, like, insanely underrated. Sub-defense is amazing. But of all those things, and you're looking around, you're asking, what's the most important? It is, it is his mental focus. It is his self-belief. It is his complete and total unwillingness to accept anything into his brain that could possibly deter him from victory or dominance or anything like that. His mind is a steel trap, man. He's one of these guys you could probably take back to the medieval times and torture. And he, and he, and he, you know, torture is one of these things where you get unreliable information, but I mean, he would never cave at all. Wouldn't say a word, you know? Um, his mind is just so, it's so powerful. It's so, I, I've talked about it before. Everyone's like, oh man, is McGregor in someone else's head? Is he in this guy's head? Is he in this guy's head? You know what, man? Lifelong competitors like Chad Mendes, like Chad Mendes didn't win or lose or really change his strategy much because of Connor talking. I'm sure he didn't like it, but it's not really why Connor won or lost. Connor won because he was better that night. That's number one. And the second reason why he won is because he had the right kind of skills. 
it, it, it wasn't the trash talking. It's not his ability against guys who suck. You might be able to get in their brains a little bit. Barbas, stop. Against guys who are not good, he, yeah, he'll, he'll you know he'll shake them up. Against dudes who've been competing since they're five, it's not going to do a whole lot. It's not going to change the outcome of a fight. It's not. What's going to do it is the fact that his mind is so dominant, is so is so composed, is so strong that it wills him to greatness. In some ways, a little bit recklessly, but so far successfully. I think that's what you need to focus on. It's not what he's doing into other people's brains. It's what he's doing to his own brain, right? He, him and Diego Sanchez have like, you know, he's Diego Sanchez with like super elite striking, you know, and a lot more. There's a lot of other differences. You know, I'm not saying their games are identical in any capacity. I'm just saying mentally, you know, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about a guy who just, who just, you know, if you can't break this and that's no easy task, um, you know, you're going to have a very hard time. That being said, folks, it's biology. It's just physics. If you hit someone hard enough on the tip of the chin, they go. They go. Now, the point being is, um, you know, Chad landed some super hard shots. So how good is Conor McGregor's chin? Oh, it's very good. It's extremely good. But that's not something you want to mess with too much, right? Because, again, this is another parallel to Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva, for years, had an amazing chin. People would, like, just drill him, and he never got cut. He never seemed to get rocked. I mean, remember what Stephen Bonner was doing even late into his career, just teeing off on him, and Silva's just like taking it. This this is a bad idea because you get against someone who's really, really good eventually, and they're gonna they're gonna maul you. They're gonna maul you, and at that point, there's no go, there's no like rejuvenating this. If you let yourself go and you get fat, you can lose the weight and build muscle again. You can't rebuild this. Every time someone cracks it, they take a little bit of piece from it. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe not much that matters in the next fight or even the fight after that or even a fight five years from now. But six years from now, if Conor McGregor is still competing, those kinds of choices will eat at you a little bit. You just have to be honest. It's just how it works. He's a human being. He's a mortal human being. doesn't matter how good he is now. Those things affect you. So what I would like to see is I talked about how I don't think that Conor's opponents are defensively responsible. I don't think he'll do as much clowning against McGregor or Aldo. I guess although we'll see. But I would like to see him just do a lot less no matter what. I would like to see him be more defensively responsible because he's got an amazing chin. He, should, he shouldn't rely on it to open up for the clowning. He should protect it and use it and keep it as ace in the hole as long as he can. I think that's really the better way to look at it because it's obviously a tremendously strong chin. He can take a hell of a shot, man, because it wasn't just standing he was taking shots. He was taking big-ass shots underneath, man, huge, huge punches underneath. You know, and when your head's flat against the mat, by the way, you know, it's one thing if you, you get cracked and the head bounces a little bit, there's a little bit of recoil. When when your head is flat against the mat and you take a shot, your body absorbs all of that. He took all of it. Okay, so we know he's insanely tough. But if you're if you see what McGregor can do when he's at his best and you see what he's doing for the game, dude, Conor McGregor is awesome for MMA. And I say this selfishly. Because obviously it benefits me that he's around. I don't, I can't, I don't make any bones about it. Um, but for his own health and his own career longevity, I would like to see him protect that. He should protect his chin like it's weak, even though it's like iron. And then someone says, 
Do you think that a fighter's reputation for being able to take a shot have anything to do with his mental preparation fortitude as opposed to just having a physical gift? No, it's a physical gift. His mental fortitude, I think, and helps helps him ignore pain or dismiss what pain is there. It is biology. It is biology. There's a reason why you want to get hit on the tip of the chin. New York Times did a huge article about it once because there's this one boxer who had a reputation for having an amazing chin even late into his career. Like we're talking after 30 years of getting beat on. And they were saying that it was his the construction of his shoulders and his neck and the way in which his chin didn't move and all kinds of different ways in which his jaw was structured. And they explained the mechanics of what happens when you get hit on the chin and the shockwave it sends and all that kind of stuff. Check that out. So right now he's benefiting from that. But the more that gets loosened up, the more that gets hit, you know, I'm not saying it'll affect him tomorrow or even his entire run at featherweight. I'm just saying not the best idea. Just not the best idea. You have this amazing gift. Use it um, sparingly. Live beneath your means on your chin, right? Live beneath your means on your chin. Don't live up to your means on your chin. Yes, you can get away with it. Don't do it. Live beneath your means. UFC 191. At the moment, we have no main event for UFC 191 and only two fights announced for it. What fights would you like to see the UFC make for this card, in particular the main event and co-main? Here's what I would say. I don't wish any financial distress on the UFC, but every time they cancel a card, or like you know with 176 or 151, all the cards around them seem to get better. So, so again, I am in no way wishing financial distress on them. However, if they decide it's better in their own interest to just move on from the card and take those pieces and put them somewhere else, I think that would be in the interest of the consumer. I would have no issue with that. Uh, Rory McDonald gift and the fan guilt. I have been a hardcore MMA fan for several years now, but seeing that Rory gift kind of messed me up. This is the one where the fight's over and he's sitting and he's kind of flailing and he's just trying to find himself and his, his face is a disaster and there's blood everywhere and they're trying to put stuff on him to, to, to you know get the blood off and it's a, it's a hard gift to watch if you haven't seen it, or GIF, whatever it is. Uh, I have always been in favor of legalizing MMA in the few places where it is still illegal, but after seeing that GIF of Rory falling back while covered in blood, I felt a little guilty about the enjoyment I experienced while watching that fight. It has become quite clear to me that under the right circumstances, some of the fighters we see competing in the UFC octagon are quite literally willing to fight to the death. Yes. That's why the sport's regulated. You don't think Robbie Lawler would fight to the death if you let him? If you let him. And it mattered that much to him. Yeah. I also realized on that personal level, I am never comfortable with a human being undergoing that level of punishment, whether or not they have consented to it, and especially not for the purpose of providing a Saturday night entertainment. Do you ever feel uncomfortable with the thought that these fighters go through this for our entertainment? No, not really. Number one, this is why the sport has to be regulated. It has to be regulated effectively. Right? For this kind of reason. You need to have a medical staff there ready to go. You need to have a proper ringside physician. You need to have very good referees. You need to have good corners. You need to have fighters who you know have, because some guys just have an ability to withstand all kinds of different forms of damage and others. All those have to be in play. But more than that, I'm going to change the conversation a little bit. To me, what did Rory make for that? 59 grand? What was the payout? see what was it McDonald 59 grand right 
Now, again, you're going to say, oh, well, he got a bonus. Well, we don't know he got a bonus. I'm assuming he got one, but I don't know, and I don't know how much. He doesn't get pay-per-view points. You know, This is, to me, when we talk about money fighters make, this is, to me, just as much of a part of the conversation as anything else. Why? Give me one good reason why Rory McDonald should walk out of Nevada, Nevada, whatever, with less than a million dollars being paid for that fight. How does that make any sense to you? Give me one good reason why he shouldn't make a million bucks for that one. What, because he signed a contract that says he should have a deny? Look at all the different ways in which fighters could make money but can't. They lost their sponsors. Okay, now he gets sponsored by Reebok and Monster. Um, but um, speak about things generally for just a second. Then you look at the cage, and you look at all the different sponsors on the cage. You know, So first of all, this argument about, like, we're trying to get rid of the NASCAR thing. No, you're not. You never were. That's not what it's about. What it's about is controlling the money that was made during that portion of the broadcast because you feel you're entitled to it. And they're right. They are entitled to it. Fighters are also entitled to it. They're entitled to the split. The, the NASCAR argument about cleaning things up is a total non-starter. It is not true. Look at the cage. Littered with blood, and there's no point in watching a UFC fight where ads aren't coming at you because of they're everywhere on the cage. There's no part. Even on the ring posts, ads are everywhere, right? And fighters, to my knowledge, don't get a cut of any of that. On the Fran prep point, fighters don't get a cut of any of that. The Fox deal that they're on, they don't get a cut of any of that. The pay-per-view, only some get a cut of that, and we don't even know how much relative to what the promoter is getting. Right? This is what I'm talking about when I talk about fighter pay. You can make a case for, look, the guy the, the guy who's making his UFC debut, there should be like kind of a minimum, and maybe it's not that much, and may, maybe we can all agree on 10 and 10, or I don't know. I don't know, something like that. You know, I mean, they don't deserve a ton of Reebok money. But this is what I'm talking about. You have guys going in there who, I mean, Rory, you know, how far he was from death, I don't know. Not that far, probably, and not not hugely far, um, not close. But you know, he was in bad shape. He was in really bad shape. Had to go to the hospital afterwards. Why shouldn't he have a piece of everything? Why? What what argument could you possibly make about a guy giving you that, doing that in the name of entertainment? Yeah, he gets some benefit from it too. What argument could you possibly make to say, you don't, you don't deserve a million dollars for that? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He, this is why fighters need to have a bigger piece of the pie, because they do that to their bodies. They have that much of a window in which they can make any kind of money. Um, and it just seems to me a little bit insane that the only thing they get is sponsorships they can't negotiate for, um, fairly marginal leverage on the contract for the most part and then you know promoter whim in terms of a bonus that just doesn't seem fair to me this doesn't seem fair to me personally you know just my opinion everyone disagrees but you just see what Roy mcdonald's giving and everyone talks about this fight just for a second everyone talks about this fight like um you know look at the look at the grit look at the determination you know, look at the toughness. And I would say all those things. You know, <laughs> the level of technique in that fight is insanely high. Insanely high. You know, there are not guys like this everywhere who can do what those two did that night. 
So yes, it is the grit, and yes, it is the determination, and yes, it is the toughness. It's also elite-level skill. Elite-level skill should be compensated with elite-level money, in my judgment, especially when it's married with elite-level toughness, elite-level determination, and elite-level you know grit. All those things were there. Those guys deserve to get paid. They deserve to get paid. So you know you can make the fighter pay argument about any different number of things, but to me. I just can't see any argument for why Rory McDonald should have anything less than a million dollars for that kind of performance. And of course, Robbie Waller as well. Beer and fight shape. I'll skip that one. Um, who are the top five pay-per-view draws for UFC? We'll see what McGregor can do. But um, Let's see. Jones, Velasquez, Drops off after that. Rousey. Maybe maybe McGregor's in the list. We'll see how that goes. Um, maybe maybe Weidman, but I'm not I'm not convinced about that one either. Yeah. What exactly do you think happened to Rory in the fifth? Oh, I just think the pain was too much. It, you know, I mean, look at him flailing around afterwards, barely all there. I mean, he just got hit with a big shot. You know, again, it wasn't, again, these, these Rory, excuse me, these Robbie Lawler wind-up punches. He doesn't do those anymore. But it, he's still able to pack a serious punch, right, just coming down with the left. And, um, and uh, you, know, you just take one too many of those. Stroller broke the camel's back, you know. Uh, 170 and under. What do you make of the fact that the greatest card of all time included no fighters above 170? Does this indicate a shift towards acceptance of smaller fighters? Yeah, I made this point, dude. Look at the look what happened in 2015. You in the boxing side, you have Mayweather versus Pacquiao, which I know the fight didn't deliver, but <coughs> they're the two biggest stars, right? 147 pounds, and then here you have 145 pounds for Conor McGregor, dude. The 140 pounders rule the world, don't they? Anybody can be a star, it feels like. I think it's a little bit harder for guys who have a weight disadvantage. But, you know, when you have all the things that those guys do, and they're very different each in their presentation to the world, when you have all those different things those guys do, you can do it too. So it's kind of interesting that, like, on the MMA side, your biggest star probably is this Irish kid who's 145 pounds, at least, you know, by weight class. And then on the other side, these two boxers, 147 and 147. Um, Let's see. Talk about White, Dana White and uh, Aldo's rib. White's position on how MMA media had twisted his words confused me deeply. So I was wondering, was there context or some statement in the middle that I missed? Or why does Dana White feel the media has done something wrong here? Um, he must have been referring to something specifically about someone twisting his words. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, no one has said anything to us. We reported what I thought was his words directly on the expo and then other things we thought were relevant facts. So I don't know exactly what he's referring to. And without that, I, I hesitate to comment on it because obviously it's a very important thing to get correct. Um, but I, you know, if you're asking about us, about our reporting, I, I think our reporting has been good. We talked to doctors, independent ones who had their perspective. Um, 
we reported White's words accurately. So there's been an issue about, I can't speak for any other site, but I know that our reporting has been on the money, you know. McGregor and Yanjacek. I feel both McGregor and Yanjacek are among the very top strikers in the UFC, with both of them rising to the top of their divisions over the last year. At the same time, though, I'm somewhat amused how similar and utterly different their approaches are. Uh, which of them would you rank higher? Well, McGregor's beating better guys. And what do you feel is their core difference in their style of fighting? Well, Yanjacek is just like a Thai stylist. I mean, she's got a fluidity to her approach as well. But McGregor's a little bit more box-heavy. You notice McGregor almost never throws leg kicks, right? It's kind of interesting, all the stuff's to the body and to the head. Um, she has a little bit more relative to her peers, better hand speed. McGregor's got great accuracy, but not so much the best speed in the world. I mean, he's got good speed. Don't get me wrong. He's got speed. But, like, hand speed isn't, like, the most – it's not what you notice about him necessarily. It's good speed, but it's, like, as Chad Mendes pointed out, great accuracy, great combination – um, a good a good awareness of what's opening, a good awareness of how to create openings. Um, whereas Yin Jacek, she has a lot of that too, but I think a lot of her ability comes from amazing hand speed, um, you know, fluid combinations, but then combinations that are very tied in the way that they just overpower you. McGregor tries to basically open you up and then, you know, lethal shot for the kill. A lot of these type sort of adapted tie styles, I should say anyway, adapted tie styles. It's just about overwhelming you a little bit. Um, Jacare versus Romero. Look, what are your thoughts on this fight since it will probably determine who fights the winner of Rockhold Wyman? I know you picked Jacare before, but did Romero's performance against Machida alter anything? A little bit, man. I really don't know who's going to win that one because Romero's athleticism is just insane. You know, and, and you could say, well, Jacare is better on the ground than Machida. Machida's no slouch on the ground, man. He had the tiniest window to establish posture control and didn't and paid for it badly with that barrage of elbows from Romero. So I don't know, you know, Jacare seems like he's the more polished fighter of the two, but Romero's athleticism is just, and, and you know, Jacare is no bad athlete himself, uh, but there's something about Romero's just, I mean, he doesn't have the most polished game. I don't think he thinks as strategically, nearly as strategically as Jacare. So maybe for those reasons, you have to favor the Brazilian. But man, dude, like the ability of of uh, Romero to just do damage in an instant or change the dynamics of the fight so quickly is insane. It's insane. Someone's asking about getting in Connor's head about whether I think it played any did it play any part in his win over Poirier. Poirier, maybe. Poirier, maybe. I think that. Poirier talked about how he sort of would regrets the way he fought and everything else. But, you know, with guys like Chad, um, with guys like Frankie, and guys like – even like guys like Jose, I just don't think in the end when you say, why did this guy win? What was it that made him win? You might be able to point to those things, but, you know, it's not – that's not going to be the dominant thing you point to. It's not going to be the top five things you point to. Certainly not in this fight. Conor McGregor talking is fun and stuff, but look, look at Nick Diaz too. Like Nick Diaz talks to all his opponents, and some he gets through, and some he doesn't. But did it affect Carlos Condit? Nope. And you could say, oh well, Diaz won that fight. Okay, but it was close. At a minimum, it was close. At a minimum, and the best part is, Condit stuck to his game plan the entire time, all five, all five rounds. You know, against the better guys, it doesn't mean anything. It just doesn't. 
I know it's fun to think that way. I know it's fun to be like, oh, man, look at the psychological warfare. He won't even have to fight because he's already won here. No. Connor's won here by making his own mind strong. But the ability to make another mind weak is, at the very top of the game, borderline impossible. At the mid-level part of the game, maybe. At the very, very top, mm mm-mm. do I watch a big fight like McGregor or Mendez? I watch it alone. I, well, for two reasons. One, I don't have a lot of friends who watch MMA uh, or like it. And two, uh, even if they did, I need to be able to concentrate. Um, red and blue gloves. While watching recent Bellator cards, I couldn't help but notice the blue and red colored gloves as opposed to the black gloves with the colored tape. I think this is a good thing that they are differentiating themselves from UFC, but I want to know what you think. It's exactly what Strikeforce did. To me, it seems like it's kind of difficult to tell when punches land. Eh, I don't think it's much of an issue. Uh, McGregor's eventual weight class shift. Look, I've always assumed that I was neutral on McGregor. However, after last Saturday, I found myself with contradicting feelings. I was deeply impressed by his performances against, you say Aldo, but he hasn't fought Aldo. So you say, yet I couldn't help myself in thinking, based on what we saw, considering the top five at 155, McGregor's move there is going to be brutal for him. Am I being too negative on McGregor in this matter and oversimplifying things? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like I said before, against someone like Habib or against someone like um, RDA, you know, I just don't like McGregor's chances. But a couple of things I would also say is, number one, McGregor's 27 now. Um, I do think he has a little bit of more time left to improve. I think once you hit 30, you can tactically change or shore up a little, a few things. Um, but, you know, you still got some windows to make some big improvements, first thing I'd say. Um, second of all, let's see how much bigger he gets. If he gets so much bigger, that may be less of an issue. Third, I think that might change how he matches up against guys like um, Cerrone or Johnson or Ferguson. You know, it'll be interesting to see how he matches up against those guys. So, it's not to say that he can't be competitive against the very best. It's just that um, at the very, very top of the division, those guys can wrestle to a degree that is, you know, hard to overstate. Uh, Masvidal looked great at 170. How can the UFC incentivize fighters competing at their natural weight? It was so refreshing to finally see Jorge Masvidal fight to his full potential on Sunday. His body looked natural and healthy, and the results speak for themselves. Is it really impossible to improve the current situation with weight cuts? Is there any way to incentivize fighters competing at their natural weight? Um, they have, I mean, well, in a sense, yes. Like, why was Masvidal incentivized to go back to 170? Because he had been there before, he had dropped down, and things just didn't go well for him, at least not well enough for his comfort. And he thought, you know what, why am I killing myself to get down there? Let's just go back to 170 and see what we can do. You know, a guy like Masvidal would benefit from an intermediate, intermediate weight class, like a 160. That's more where he would naturally fit. Uh, or, you know, 162 or 163 or whatever you want to make it. Um, you know, he's not quite – I think he's a little too small for 170 and a little too big for 155. But, um, you know, yeah, he looked fine. It, there has to be – an. Listen, unless the UFC pays you to stay in a weight class, I don't really know what they can do. I've talked about this before. The NCAA to control wrestlers are able to measure the hydration in their body before the season starts about what a guy looks like, and they can measure how much your cut is going, and then they can keep you on it by measuring this hydration over the course of a whole season. 
Um, so they know how much you're cutting. They know, you know, they know exactly how much you have to cut. They know exactly how much is in your body right now. So whether, even if it's a small cut, you're doing it in a healthy way. They just have so much control over you to be able to do that. I, the UFC doesn't, they're in a much, they're in a much more difficult position. Um, so, you know, this is one where you have to have some sympathy for them because it's just not clear what they can do except to say, you know, hopefully a guy finds a success of the right weight class and decides to stay there. Other than that, you know. Um, I'm not sure what they can do. Someone says, it feels like recently we are seeing more and more guys have success fighting in higher weight class. For example, Poirier versus Masvidal. We are also seeing fighters such as Brad Pickett returning to a more natural weight class after failed attempts at lower classes. Do you believe the advantages of large weight cuts are overrated? No, I think that they're very much in line with the advantages. Are there any specific fighters you feel would benefit from fighting at a higher weight class? Look, a lot of them might have some benefits if they gave it a shot. Which ones, I don't know. I mean, some guys cut a lot of weight. But, um, you know, with, when you when you leave a weight class for a long time and you come back, they don't start you at the top. Like, Ally Quinta is a highly ranked lightweight. Cesar Ferreira is not a highly ranked welterweight. Right? So he's not fighting the same level of opposition. And so Masvidal did look good. And Poirier's look good, but Poirier is looking to get some really ranked guys. Let's see how he looks against the, like, the truly ranked guys. You know, fighting McGregor was like top 10, I believe, at the time when he fought him. So let's see how he gets the top 10 guy and see how he looks. He's not, it's not apples to apples. So they look good going back because they look more like themselves. But they're also, when you when you go back to a new weight class, they don't start you at the very top. you got some work to do to earn your way back to the top there. So, um, so look, I agree with you. Poirier looked amazing in his return to lightweight. And, and – I've always, you guys, if you watch this chat or anything else I do with Masvidal, I've always talked about what a ridiculous competitor he is. And he looked amazing, no doubt about it. But they got a long road to go before they can prove that. I mean, they went to 155, 145 for a reason, right? It wasn't an accident. Um, and they came back also for a reason. Because they they, they, gave, they would fight up to a point and they couldn't get past it. So they're trying to figure out if another weight class can adjust around it or they can have some kind of success without killing themselves. And I understand all that. But, you know, if you if you if you become a champion in weight class, you don't change it. So there's an issue there. Uh, Holly Holm versus Marion Renault breakdown. Boring decision or sudden KO and submission? Marion seemed to hint in an interview that she might try to take Holly down. Well, I would imagine. I would imagine that's true. Yeah, look, all the smart money is on Holly Holm. And, and I've actually, I'm going to pick Renault, not because, look, I made the evidence-based claim against... Um, McGregor for Mendez, which I would never take back because you have to go on what evidence you have, not what you think to be true. Um, and the evidence clearly says in this case that Holmes probably going to win. I think she's going to be able to stick the jab and move front kick and move. Her takedown defense is pretty good. Obviously Renault has a advantage on the ground. Um, she's got very, very good submissions, but I, 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 you know, the evidence doesn't tell you that um, there's a very good chance of the fight going there. But, um, you know, what I like about Renault is that everyone told her she was too old to be competing. And, dude, she just has a chip on her shoulder, man. A total chip on her shoulder. She gets in there and just, I mean, she fights hard, man. 
super hard. So from a technical perspective, it seems like not the best matchup for her. I don't think it's a setup fight exactly because I think Renault, even if you think Holm will win, Renault will be in her face till the very end. Um, the smart money is on Holm. I'm only picking Renault because I just like fighters who fight with chips on their shoulders, man. I just this, I just this. My favorite way to see a fighter compete is to feel like the world doesn't think anything of them and they get out there and just clobber people. I like that a lot. Like Frodo Hospolayov was like that too. Uh, Pendred. Dana absolutely hates this guy, it seems, first off. I don't think he hates Pendred. I just don't think that he's impressed with the way he's been fighting recently, and that seems very fair. Despite his quite impressive record in the UFC, do you see Pendred being cut in the next year? Um, do I see him being cut in the next year? Probably not, but I expect him to be getting some fights where, um, one way or the other, it's going to be more decisive. They keep matching him up with guys where it's like, eh, you know, they're going to give him either one that's too much or too little, and they're going to find out how good he is, for real. New graphics. What did you make of the new graphics they showed at the weekend, which are now going forward, part of the, except for or the Fox parts of the shows? Also, what did you make of the live performance during the walkouts? I personally thought it was extremely good. It should be used in the future for big events. Yeah, I talked a lot about this on the Monday Morning Analyst, just to repeat very briefly. I thought the UFC hit a complete home run with UFC 189. Um, you know, I thought for a long time, the product had been a little bit stale, you know, they, they like to have a consistent level of homogeneity and a little bit, uh, a consistent level of, um, um, quality, you know, that the quality is always very high, but it's the same thing. I just felt like it was played out, man. I just felt like, you know, you got to constantly freshen things up in the fight game and, and that's tough to do and it's not easy. And, you know, the next show may not feel quite as innovative because we'll have already seen the new graphics packages and things like that. But I guess what I mean to say is, you know, from the graphics package to the light show on the Octagon to the live performers, they stepped up at a promotion as a promotion when they needed to. Uh, it was a total hit. I thought they pulled it off flawlessly. Um, and then the fighters did their part, you know. Everything was what it was supposed to be. That's what that's what elite prize fighting should feel like. It should feel like a big show. And as I said on the Monday Morning Analyst, the UFC did two things on Saturday night. They didn't just put on fights, but independent of the fights, they put on a show. Like there was a show there that night, and then there was also fights. And sometimes the two work together. But you get the idea. Like there was just such a tremendous effort beyond just here's this guy's walkout music. Let's put on a fight. Buffer introduces him, and here comes the next one, and then here comes the next one. There was there was more to it. There was so much more to it, both from the people in the arena and then for the people watching at home, which is also tough to do. And I recognize I can't do this all the time. It's very difficult to do. I get it. But, you know, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence, given what Bellator is doing with that big screen that they have. And it just feels like the Bellator end, which is you know, a smaller end, obviously, and on the UFC end, for the first time in years, man, in years, my biggest criticism about the age of oversaturation, um, well, there's many criticisms, but one of them was it just felt like promoters were just shipping out as much product as possible. Let's just, let's just put on as much as we can, you know. And it wasn't just UFC doing it. It was a lot of, I mean, Bellator, but, you know, all those shows they were doing, it was just, let's, just, let's just put on product, you know. What people really want to see are the fights. Okay, that's true, man. But they also want to see other things too, you know. They want to see other things. They want 
they want to they want to be entertained they want to have you know visual and auditory stimulation and they got that this time in all kinds of new and novel ways i thought ufc 189 was like a complete and total home run for the ufc and it's like i want to see them flex their muscles one way to flex your muscles is to hold a show on a saturday and then the same venue on a sunday and then you can hold a show on a on a on Wednesday, like they're doing tonight, and then again on Saturday. You know, that's one way to flex your muscles, but that's different than on one individual like event, getting out there and just you know showing your biceps as a as a promotion. And they did that, and they did that, and it and it hit. And I just felt like this was finally an attempt. Like finally, it feels like Bellator isn't trying to just ship as much product down my throat, but they're trying to give me a lot, admittedly. But then when it counts, make it special. And it also feels like for the first time in years, for the first time in years, UFC isn't just trying to give you a lot of product. When they, when they give you the right one that's really big, they're trying to make it special. They're trying to curate that product a little bit. Quality screens on them. And it feels so different. So different. Again, they can't do it all the time, but this is what I'm talking about. Let's have a smaller cage with fight night shows, right? And when you have a big pay-per-view, Let's have a light show or whatever else they can think of next. You know, again, hard to do, but let's think about it. Let's have an outdoor show because you got the balls to put one on. And I know that they do. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. You know, um, out there innovating, out there iterating, out there taking chances. Because what, is the UFC, what did the UFC prove on Saturday night? They bet on themselves to win and it worked and it worked. Wow, did it work? Like it totally hit, you know? So, um, how replicable at scale that is, I don't know. But what I would say is, if you had any impression about UFC 189 other than A+, plus, 10 out of 10, even with that dreadful prelim card, I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you could want. What what more could you possibly ask for promotion than what UFC delivered on Saturday night? Worth every penny on pay-per-view and worth probably every dollar they got the ticket. And I just want to point out, Pacquiao versus Mayweather, which had a terrible undercard because I was there. Um, you know, I had a couple of good fighters on it, but they were just squash matches set up. Um, you know, boring. And then the, the fight itself was not what it was supposed to be. I think the fight sucked, but it wasn't great. Um, you know, $74 million gate. This that, did, that that gate was 10 times what it was for the UFC. And that $7 million, $7 million gate for the UFC is legit. It's a very legitimate gate. Just pointing out, the UFC gave you a lot more at a lower price point. They should take pride in that, man. They should not take pride. Like people always want to talk about boxing records for pay-per-views, and and I'm one of the ones who does this, and for and for live gates, and I'm one of the ones who does this well because I don't think you should lose that side of the debate. You know, if you look at the 7.2 million dollar gate, that's UFC's record in Nevada. That's still for all-time combat sports gates, like 34 or 35. All the big boxing ones are well ahead of that. Remember, Canelo versus Mayweather was 20 million, right? Um, but I just think that like. It's one thing to just, you know, fleece the rich and then put on a show and say, look, we have the record. It's another to be like, you know, we set a record for ourselves and then we still delivered an entertainment product. Amazing, man. Amazing what they can do. Just shows you, man, just shows you when the UFC really tries and they really want to, you can tell me I'm wrong about all these different things and I'm not, but you can say, oh, I, oversaturation is no problem. More fights are great. You know, more fights, maybe you think they're great. I don't. What I want to see is from the UFC, I want to see you do what I know they can't because otherwise you're doing the same thing. It may look a little different. Let me see you do what they can't. 
And when they do, and when they try hard on their independently of that to make the show even better, look at what happens. It's amazing. It's amazing. It is exactly the what I knew the UFC could always do. They just were waiting for, I guess, for the right time on, on, on their own to get out and do it. And maybe Bellator kicked them in the pants a little bit. I don't know. Seems like they did, but who knows? In the end, feels like Bellator is finally trying to make something special. And in the end, it feels like UFC is finally trying to make things special. For the first time in years, years, it is starting to feel good to be an MMA fan again. Not that it felt bad before, but it was just week over week, just kind of the same, over and over and over and over again. And finally, promoters are like, you know what? Maybe we should try harder. <laughs> Not in the sense of making a bunch of fights and going to a bunch of places. I don't mean that. I mean that when you go to a show, you know, improving upon yourself, improving upon the product, blowing away expectations, leaving people... I said this on the Monday Morning Analyst. You will leave, if you were, like, especially if you were there, and maybe even if you weren't there, you will leave thinking about UFC 189 and where you were and how important it was for the rest of your life. If you're a real fight fan, you will. You will think about that. It will It will be in your brain forever. There's parts of UFC 100 I can clearly remember my day that day, you know, and the days leading up to it. If you're a real fight fan, you will. So I'll point that out. Uh, let's hit up the Twitter machine for just a second if we can given the time on the clock. Someone says, oh, he got a uh, Roy McDonald got a post-fight bonus as well. All right, that's cool. Um, is the key to an Aldo win takedown ability? I think Aldo's passing is stellar. I think you might have an issue getting him down. Depends. I think that... Uh, I think that... Uh, um, if you saw against Chan Sung Jung, Aldo had great takedowns in the clinch. Um, he can shoot a double if need be. I don't think the key to Aldo's rest, uh, Aldo winning would be wrestling, but I don't think the key to Aldo winning would be no wrestling. I think some would have to be involved. So the question is, how much of that can he do? Um, let's see. Who was at a distance? Someone says, UFC 189 was one card. We have UFC 190, same old S. Not same old S. Part of that larger reinvention was graphics packages that will carry forward or the idea that if you inspire, if you try something and it's successful, you might be more inclined to keep trying that or other things. It creates a culture of positivity, of experimentation. So if you're saying, well, that's just one card, it'll never happen again, you know, you may not get that level of uh, greatness, but it's not true that that's a one-time thing and we just go back to the same old dreck. I'm not sure about that. Um I have heard that all UFC employees have to wear Reebok gear on fight night. Can you confirm this? I heard all production guys had to. Who is at a disadvantage the most, Connor or Chad, for the short notice fight? They both had their own forms of dis dis uh, disadvantage ways. Of they both had disadvantages they had to overcome. True or false, Mendez and Pettis to drop divisions. False. I don't think Pettis wants to play with that 145 weight cut unless he absolutely has to. Are journalists allowed to bet on fights? I think you're allowed to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, are UFC employees allowed to bet on fights? I don't know. Someone says I think lowering hands was about trying to taunt him into standing and not going for takedowns. 
Uh, I'd expect less versus Aldo. When he did that, he got taken down. There was one time he got taken down off a punch. Taunting is actually what a lot – when someone has their hands down like that, yes, you could say, well, you're, you're able to protect your hips and your waist more, but that's not really it because then you can punch your way into a takedown. So, no, it's just not smart strategy, guys. You guys can look at it however you want. Your own bias is going to affect it. Um, I'm not a Conor McGregor fan in that way, but I think he's awesome for MMA, and I think he's a super legit talent, and I cannot wait to see him fight again. But doing this, S, putting your hands down, you can get away with it. It is not optimal, right? Understand that. You can get away with it. It's not optimal. Uh, let's see. I have a whole, I have a feeling that Holm versus Renault is going to end up being fight of the night. Me too. Uh, let's see. Uh, the notorious McGregor said that he didn't feel Chad Mendes' power, but he was, but was he breaking when asked the ref to stand them up in round two? No, he was not breaking. Sorry, hate to disappoint you. Where do you think it would make more sense for Fedor to fight for Bellator or UFC? Depends on Fedor's interest. If you're asking about purses, I bet the UFC can offer a bigger purse. But I bet with Viacom opening up their pocketbook, he can get a lot. Um, it depends on what he wants. Oh, De Gea is going to stay at Manchester United. F. Should Vegas host the biggest title fights coming up with only a 16,000 capacity? This is another point I'm talking about. The UFC knows they can do it with the right card. I would love to see them go to Dallas Cowboy Stadium because why? One, it would create a huge buzz, a huge atmosphere. Two, it would be a logistical nightmare for them. But part of the reason why they can go to Korea, and uh, they told me this, part of the reason why they can go to Korea and some of those venues is because some of the issues they had to work out to be able to do some of the shows and some of the venues in Brazil up their overall technological capabilities that now allows them to go to other venues they couldn't go to before because they now have the ability to broadcast virtually anywhere. So, so going to Dallas Cowboys stadium, they've done a stadium show in the past, of course, but I just mean going there would just, and, and other promoters have gone there of course as well, but I mean the UFC doing their thing, it would just be such a regal affair that only the UFC could do properly for their own purposes. And so for me, you know, there's all of that UFC would up its own game. It would create its own buzz. Three, you could probably get a ticket relatively easily because the price point would be more relaxed, right? I mean, remember, Pacquiao versus Mayweather beat the Super Bowl gate by almost $30 million, and the Super Bowl was held in a stadium. Like, just think about that. So they would still they would still do a massive gate and, you know, uh, up their own production capability. And m more true fight fans would be able to attend. So, and it would be different, wouldn't it? I'm all in favor of it. I'm completely in favor of it. Got to have the right card, obviously. But uh, why did Chad not use the can opener when in Connor's guard, waiting for the guard to open and then pass, disrupt Connor's breathing? Um, because depending on how he felt, he felt he may not have had to. I don't like doing the can opener because if you get somebody really good, you can get arm barred, right? You have your arms outstretched. Now, again, you're if you have it correct, you're behind the head and you're almost to keep able to keep your elbows bent. Uh, and it's not like his elbows were like super tight against his body. They were kind of flared out, but he was doing a little bit of bicep control and then, you know, sitting up on hip control and then whipping up over the top. Um, but I, I suspect it was probably that, you know, plus 
he didn't really need the guard to open. Once McGregor, McGregor didn't try often to do it, and the one time he did, he got passed. So it wasn't like he absolutely had to have it. Someone says, no amount of confidence can prevent a KO when landed flush on the right spot. Correct. Someone's, no, I didn't say Frankie Edgar is not Chad Mendez in the sense that it's insulting. But there are some things Chad Mendez does better than Frankie Edgar, and there are some things that Frankie Edgar does much better than Chad Mendez. And that is relevant in discussion of how it matches up with uh, uh, Conor McGregor. Not that Chad Mendez is bad, that he, he some things he does really well. But the question is, can Edgar do many of those other things really well, plus things that Chad can't do, i.e. pass guard? And the answer to that question is probably yes, although we'll have to see it play out. Let's go back real quick. True or false, Connor moves to lightweight. He beats Aldo, then Edgar. Um, he might. Should Ellenberger retire like he promised? You know, I don't know. He's in a tough spot, man. He's in a tough spot. I don't know. Uh, he always said he's not going to be in the. He doesn't want to be in the sport if it's not to be for a championship and. You know, at the rate he's going, um, that seems to be a very difficult task to attain. I have a lot of respect for Jake Ellenberger. I think he's a tremendous, tremendous talent. Um, but if he's really serious about that, then, you know, he probably has some serious questions he needs to ask himself. Casual fans watching UFC 189. Luke, just out of curiosity, did, did you watch UFC 189 with any friends or family? No. Um Post Fox, it's I'll be honest, and I know I've been praising UFC for that show, and they deserved it. It is very hard for me to get someone to come over to watch a fight. Just used to be a lot easier. It's a lot harder. Uh, Luke, you've stated that UFC serves many masters, and this is a major reason for the expansion and the number of cards and the resulting of oversaturation. Given the success of UFC 189, do you think the UFC changes the direction in terms of expanding the number of cards? I don't know, but you know, I think there's changes in the air. Because, for example, they already announced UFC 200, which, by the way, I thought was a brilliant, brilliant thing. You know, we're going to put UFC 200 on your brain right away, a year in advance. Genius. Genius. I thought that they did that, number one. Number two, you just do the math. There's only, I mean, there's only like 10 pay-per-views between now and then. So that's like a year where they're only going to have 10 pay-per-views. So that's like down from like, there was like 14 at one point a couple of years ago. Then down to 13 and 11 at one point, now just 10. 10 from now until then. So, um they may make that up on the back end after the end of July, but I'm just talking about in the next year, there's only going to be 10 pay-per-views. I think that's a good thing. Less is more. Stack those jokers, man. Stack them. Stack them high to the ceiling, like an IHOP pancake eating contest, man. Stack them. And then the fight nights, you can do what you want with, you know, because they, they'll do decent ratings. You see the tough finale ratings? Less than 700,000 on a Sunday. It did, like, almost no traffic for us. doesn't carry over, man. It's a star-driven business. So that's good enough for Fox Sports 1. Given you know, it's uh, still uh, you know um, relatively low rated, and they thrive on live events. But um, I don't know what they're going to do. But you, but here's the thing I'm, I'm pointing out: they're going to have fewer pay per views in the next year. Seems like uh, at least until UFC 200, anyway. And then you have cards like Saturday and the Fairfax card taking place in the middle of the afternoon. You would have thought that that Glasgow card, Glasgow card would have been set up perfectly for Fight Pass, and it's not on Fight Pass. 
that to me is a little bit interesting, right? Um, that, you know, I thought that's what Fight Pass was for. And now they're putting it back on Fox Sports 1 because I think they figured out that, like, even if they put that on, um, I, I don't know what happened with Fight Pass where maybe they weren't getting the subscriber base that they wanted and it didn't matter anymore. And they didn't want to put that kind of effort behind it. Maybe that's not it at all. Maybe it is. But to me, you've got this card where that, you know, was built for Fight Pass, basically. And yet they're going to put it on Fox Sports 1 at that time of the day because it's the summer doldrums and there's not a lot of live sports that, that Fox has the rights to air. And they're going to do it there. So to me, there's like a bit of a change in the air about how many shows are doing on pay-per-view, how many are going on Fight Pass, a lot more going on TV. Um, I don't know what it all means, but it's something to monitor. Octagon Girls. Will there ever be an event so big that we have 10 Octagon Girls? I do not care. Uh, so I asked about the Giblert Melendez Award. It goes to the MLS. Did you see the MLS jersey? You know, that MLS jersey makes the Reebok kit look like uh, an Armani suit. Um, I don't care about the Ultimate Fighter at all. I'm not Look, I'm not mad at the Ultimate Fighter. For Fox Sports 1, it does good ratings. It's a fraction of what it did on Spike TV. But, you know, I'm not – look, if you all want to watch it, cool. If you don't want to watch it, cool. I don't have any opinion about it. I'm not going to watch it. So it's like do what you want with it. Uh, McGregor's wrestling. Did we really get all the questions answered this Saturday? We learned that Connor's wrestling might act, might actually be quite terrible, but now we know he didn't go for a full live round of wrestling all camp. And Mendes did not have a full camp, but who knows if he gasped because of the cardio because of the rip shots for two rounds. Is it a fool's errand for the MMA fan to continually pursue an answer to all of the questions, even after two opponents allegedly settle in the octagon? Well, sure. This is the fun of being a fight fan because you have such limited information. Because on the end of Chad Mendez, some people were saying he was on a hunting show and wasn't training at all and then did what he could for a couple of weeks to get ready and you saw what you saw. Um, so how could his cardio be good? On the other side, you have people saying Conor McGregor had a knee injury that, well, maybe it wasn't effing him up on fight night, but it totally impacted his training. He couldn't do the live rounds. You know, He may be able to do light, light wrestling or uh, drilling or any kind of number of different scenarios, but no live rounds. So that had to impact it. So, so, like, what do you get here? Well, what do you get is a version of the truth. All we know for sure is on that night, Conor McGregor was better. Would he be better a second night? Maybe. Hell, hell maybe even probably. But um, it wouldn't be the same the second time around. Look at the first and second Aldo fight with Mendez. Very much a different Mendez. Aldo still won, but it was a different scenario, was it not? So who knows? So who knows, man? This is the fun of being a fight fan. You work with such incomplete information that it forces your mind to wander and ask questions and try and parse. And it's difficult because sometimes you want to make more to something than it is, and sometimes you ignore other things. But um, suffice to say, look, his wrestling on Saturday night was not great. His defensive grappling I thought was pretty good, uh, in some ways excellent. His offensive grappling from his back was bad. His offensive grappling on top when he passes is excellent. So there are different reasons to believe in his ability. And striking is phenomenal. He's one of the best strikers in the UFC, independent of weight class, you know, and he hits like a truck. So, so there's lots of things that we know for sure about Conor McGregor. There's some things we still have a very unclear idea about. To me, he didn't answer the wrestling question because I still don't have enough information about it. If he goes and fights Edgar and Edgar takes him down and begins to pass guard, well, now we got some more information, don't we? But we don't have that yet, so we don't know. Saturday night, Conor McGregor was the better fighter. Saturday night, Conor McGregor was measurably the far worse wrestler and grappler. That's all we know. That's all we know. 
but that's just Saturday night. That's not the totality of his game. Not the totality of Chad Mendes' game either. You're just working with incomplete information. Uh, okay, I'm going to do one more real quick. Last one. Has there ever been a situation in which a fighter has so heavily pushed and been hyped by the UFC and its fans but failed to deliver at the crucial moment? For example, Ronda delivered on the first woman's UFC fight. McGregor delivered at 189. Who was built up like this but failed to deliver? Um, some people talking about um, Luis Kane. Luis Kane was never built up like this. Pettis blew up in their face a little bit, blew up in my face as well. Um, Kimbo, to an extent, blew up, but not really. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a big example of a guy who just totally was a wash and it didn't work. Uh, not exactly, but here's what I will say. Conor McGregor, and I, I, I made this point before, like it being might be. Now I'm going to say definitively, 100%, no doubt about it. In my lifetime, of all the guys and ladies I've ever seen promoted, Conor McGregor is the best promoted fighter I have ever seen. That means two things. Number one, his self-promotion, his ability to get out there and talk about himself and make himself interesting and and to represent a country and to represent a people and to represent himself and his team and what it, what, what all those things mean, what it means to have an Irish MMA star, what it means to be Irish generally, and what it means to have the kind of striking that he does and his thoughts on motion, all those things he did himself. In addition, UFC did everything they could to push him. And I said all along, you know, this was the best – fighter promoter handshake I'd ever seen in my life. When he needed a stage, they built it. When he had a message to send, they sent it. When people were looking for him, they found him. They, they, they You can't make a star, but if a star is making himself, help him and then get out of the way. Help him and then get out of the way. And that is exactly what they did. The UFC did an unbelievable job promoting Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor did an unbelievable job promoting himself. In all my years, Never have I seen a, a fighter promoted so well. Almost perfect. Almost. About as close as you're going to get. Going to be a long time, ladies and gentlemen, before you ever see a fighter promoted like this. Ever. This successfully. Where they gamble and win. Gamble and win. Push, 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 push. And it all works. It will so rarely ever be like this again. Okay. With that being said, we got to get out of here. Uh, I want to thank everyone for watching. I appreciate it. Get at me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Luke T sports. Um, what else? Um, oh yeah. Uh, Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. And then you can email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. I appreciate the support until next time. Stay frosty. <laughs>